0: Learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562 314 4603 for complete details. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed.
1: a fantasy question email baseball at cbsi.com get ready to win your league Where
0: fantasy becomes reality. now
1: here's frank scott and chris hey
0: there welcome in to fantasy baseball today on wednesday november 8th i am frank stanfel reunited with scott white so much has happened since we last talked we'll break it all down on today's show a world series champion has been crowned gm meetings are underway tons of news to talk about we've got options managers being signed all this kind of crazy stuff and i did my first 2024 draft we'll take a look at that i have a draft board for everyone watching on youtube you can uh, follow along see where some players are going first up no surprise first pitch arizona was amazing cannot recommend it enough for baseball fans fantasy baseball players alike great people Tons of fun. I went to Game 5 of the World Series. That was awesome. Went to three AFL games. Attended the Home Run Derby out there. The Fall Stars game. I got to do a live podcast with the Welsh, which I highly recommend you check out because we uh, interviewed James Triantos, Cubs prospect. So that was cool. But awesome stuff. Big thank you to uh, Brent Hershey, Ray Murphy, and everybody else at Baseball HQ. Now, Scott, one of the Mm -hmm. questions I receive most at First Pitch Arizona. Where is Scott White? (laughs) <laughs> and with that, where are you, Scott? What's going on, man?
1: Uh, I'm still here in I'm still here in sunny South Florida. Didn't didn't make my way over to sunny Arizona. No. Um I don't know. It's hard to break away from the family for that long, particularly after uh you know, kind of what's the way to put it? The season is busy, the regular season is uh, daddy's daddy's pretty busy during the regular season <laughs> and so you know, i love this i need to take off as soon as it's over for a week and you know leave all the respon leave leave even more of the responsibilities for my wife so what it, it sounds like a fun time but yeah no that's what i was doing that's what i was doing while you were in arizona
0: i love this new you referring to yourself as daddy in the third person it's great yeah, that's <laughs> That's how I'm referred to most often in
1: life. You know, you're, you're, you're there. It's, it's only a season in life where you're known as daddy. And, you know, at some point you just, you got to embrace it. That's, that's my identity at present. It, it won't always be. It won't always be. I'll become dad and not nearly as often because, you know, they'll move away and live their own lives. Potentially. Hopefully. So no, right now, I'm daddy. That's the way it is.
0: Yep, that did come up on our, uh, our live podcast with the Welsh. We were talking about Tarek Skubal, and I was like, yeah, you know, Tarek Skubal kind of makes people say and do weird things. Scott White referred to himself as daddy when, uh, <laughs> yeah. when, when ranking Tarek Skubal, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, let's move on to the World Series. Scott, you haven't had a chance to uh, talk about it. The Rangers are World Series champions for the first time in franchise history, and in the end, you got
1: your way. Yeah. In the end, I think uh, I think regression hit the Diamondbacks pretty hard. The underdog can only can only take advantage of the sort of things that happen over a small sample. For so long as the playoffs extend, the sample becomes bigger. The team with the fourth best run differential in baseball during the season, the Texas Rangers. I know they barely made it in the playoffs, but they did have the fourth best run differential in all of baseball. And I think of the World Series that disparity showed against a team that had a negative run differential during the season, was outscored during the season and the Diamondbacks. And um con- congratulations to the Rangers. I do think the better team won, at least in that final round. And uh I know Ranger, you know, first championship in franchise history. That's a lot to be it's a lot to celebrate. And you know they're well positioned to make a run at it next year too I would say. They like one of the things I tweeted out after they won I I think the one thing I tweeted out was they won the World Series and they still haven't called up Wyatt Langford yet. I mean <laughs> the toast of the prospect world is in the organization of the defending World Series champions and you know right like pushing for a job next spring I would say. So without even having to spend any dollars, the Rangers, there's a good chance they're even better just by promoting that guy next year, Wyatt Langford.
0: Yeah, and hopefully a full season of Evan Carter as well. Should potentially see Jacob deGrom at some point, probably in the second half next season too. So uh, congrats to the Rangers. Great season for them. Looks like they're set up for a while here. I mentioned I was at the game. Both guys pitched amazing, Zach Gallen and Nathan Avaldi. The D-backs had so many opportunities early in that game. I think they left... Corbin Carroll stranded at third in each of the first and third innings. They also had him at third with one out, and they couldn't get him in. So, like, you know, they had their chances and just couldn't score any runs early in that game. And then I think the pressure just kind of built, and that's what happened. Uh, Shout out to Corey Seager, too. Awesome season and and series for him. Let's get into the news, Scott. And normally I don't lead with managers, but it seems to be the talk of baseball right now. Craig Council has signed with the Cubs, seemingly out of nowhere, on a huge five-year deal worth... More than $40 million that he said he wanted to kind of reset the uh, manager market in baseball. They, you know, they were, I guess, some might say underpaid compared to other major sports that are out there. Council managed the Brewers since 2015. And I know this is kind of fluky, but I like to look at stolen base tendencies under certain managers. Since 2015, the Brewers had the third most stolen bases in baseball. It depends which players you have on your team. I know that's a big part of it, but... I don't know, Scott, maybe we could see the Cubs run a little bit more in 2024, Uh, but your thoughts here, Craig Council, to Chicago.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it was a surprise. It it wasn't a surprise that Council was leaving. That seemed like a foregone conclusion, but where he ended up, I kind of thought he'd follow David Stearns to the Mets. Uh, The Cubs might be a better situation for him. It just didn't even seem like they were in play for a manager. It seemed like they were pretty happy with David Ross, and like the Cubs have a history of doing this it reminds me of you know back when they were uh, still under Theo Epstein and they hired Rick Renteria as their manager things seemed to be going well it was like this is our guy and then Joe Madden becomes available and just like that Rick Renteria is shown the door and that seems to be the case here you gotta watch out if you're managing for the Cubs if if another girl comes along (laughs) sure Your commitments mean nothing.
0: The Guardians also have themselves a manager. They signed former catcher Stephen Vogt as their manager. He's a first time manager. Uh, so we'll be interesting to see how things work out there. Obviously, Terry Francona was with Cleveland since 2013. And, you know, we kind of associated Francona with having good pitchers and leaving his pitchers in and kind of letting them go deep into games and having a set closer every year. And, you know since uh, 2013 the Guardians were also third in stolen bases so Terry Francona for fantasy say what you will he was great so uh, I don't know if we'll get any indication on what Steven Vogt's tendencies are but it mm-hmm. should be interesting to find out in 2024 yeah I, I will say
1: you know this is kind of an outside the box pick obviously I, I wasn't vote the bullpen coach for the Mariners so he wasn't Something like that. So he wasn't, uh, you know, out of the the coaching field completely, but a newcomer to it, and, and wasn't doing it long for long. You, you talked about some of the players you interviewed in Arizona. You know, I haven't interviewed a ton of players in my role here with CBS. Maybe a couple dozen over the years. None of them, none of those interviews stood out to me like Stephen Vogt. Like he was just such a thoughtful guy and such an engaging guy. Like I, I I came out of the conversation feeling like I just made a new friend. Like I I became (laughs) Steven votes, biggest fan that day, like regardless of whatever he was doing on the baseball diamond. Like I, I just like, that's a guy I want to get behind and that's a very good quality in a manager. So if that's, you know, my one interaction with Steven vote that went that way, I can understand how he aced his interview to become uh, manager of a major league team. And so hopefully he's successful in that role. I, I, you know, I keep talking about things that don't have any relevance to fantasy. I know. So I should probably get back <laughs> on track with that. Uh, we don't know his tendencies. You're right. Can I, if I could circle back to the, uh, the point you were making about Craig counsel with the Cubs, and maybe they run more based on the Brewers tendencies under him. Well, Horner already the, the the big base stiller for them last year was Nico Horner, right? He, how many did he end up with? Almost 40. Yeah,
0: I think 38.
1: Yeah. Uh, no. No, 43. He, he he eclipsed 40 with 43. So I, I don't know how much room there is for him to improve. Uh, Dansby Swanson's stolen base total was pretty disappointing in his first year with the Cubs. He had only nine of them a year after having 18. And...
0: They definitely I think, have some names that could run. Ian Happ, Suzuki, Christopher Morell. Yeah, Morell.
1: Morell, that was the one. Because uh, we, like when he got called up, obviously he spent some time in the majors in 2022 also. But when he got called up in 2023, the thinking was, okay, if, as long as this guy doesn't strike out too much, he's going to be a power speed threat. And he wasn't a speed threat at all. He stole just six bases. Uh, let me see what his sprint speed was 81, 81st percentile. So yeah, those are the two I would maybe reserve some hope for improving their stolen base output under Craig Council. How much that managerial change is going to impact that is hard to say, but they at least have shown the capability in the past to do that.
0: Yeah, I believe the Cubs were eighth in stolen bases last year, so they were already pretty aggressive, but hopefully Council keeps that up or, or maybe even improves that aggressiveness On the base pass, we had one other managerial hire. The Mets brought in Carlos Mendoza, who was the Yankees' bench coach for the previous four years. Obviously, we don't know much about the tendencies there either, uh, but his first time managing, we'll see how that works out. Teams that remain without a manager, the Astros, Angels, Brewers, and Padres. Actually, just saw before we started recording, the Angels are interviewing Ron Washington, uh, the Braves' third base coach, for their opening, so... We'll see what happens there. We did have a front office hire. The Marlins brought in Peter Bendix, who is now their president of baseball operations. He was uh, the Rays GM under Eric Neander the past two seasons. You know that Kim Ang is no longer in the Marlins organization. And uh, Peter Bendix is going to be the new name running the show there.
1: Did you mention
0: Bob Melvin? Uh, I did not mention Bob Melvin, but I I think we mentioned him recently. Maybe you weren't on that podcast. Maybe not. Yeah, yeah I think he. Manager. Yeah, he signed a couple of weeks ago, right? Or was it last week? I think it was a couple uh, weeks ago. I, I I
1: don't think it would have been able. I, I I think it was. I think it was last week. Okay, it wasn't a couple of weeks ago. Do
0: you have any thoughts on it? <laughs> Not really. All right. <laughs> well, yeah, Bob Melvin good to manager. the manager. Yeah, yeah, should be good. Uh, the options again. We had a bunch of these accepted, declined. I think the the big one and. Kind of saw the writing on the wall here. The White Sox declined their $14 million club option on Tim Anderson. I'm sure there will be lots of interest. It's already been reported that Anderson was playing with that knee injury since he first got hurt way back in April. So perhaps a bounce back on the horizon. I know you've already expressed some optimism with Tim Anderson. I think the other side of this for the White Sox, Scott, is it could lead to an opening for their top prospect, Colson Montgomery, to potentially get an opportunity. I don't think it'll be opening day or even early on. But maybe in the second half of the season, I saw Montgomery out in the AFL. Uh, the first game I saw, he struck out twice, and he looked really bad doing it. And then in the Fall Stars game, he hit a 400-foot home run off of a lefty, left on left. So that was pretty impressive. Um, any thoughts on Tim Anderson and Colson Montgomery? Yeah, I,
1: I've expressed some hope for Tim Anderson having a bounce-back season, and I, I expect the price is going to be very low, like a late-round middle infield option, whose underlying numbers don't suggest as rapid decline as the overlying numbers would suggest, but it's going to require a team to actually sign him to be their starting shortstop, or I don't know, maybe they can move him to second base, but he needs to get the at-bats, and given that he's not a high OBP guy, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion he will. Signed to be an everyday player somewhere. I think that's something we're going to want to monitor in the offseason where Tim Anderson ends up. Colson Montgomery is a great prospect. I think he's going to be consensus top 10 overall prospect. Huge on-base guy in the minors. Really good plate discipline. The power has been more theoretical than actual so far, but I mean, clearly you, you saw how far he could hit a ball as an eyewitness in Arizona and um, I think he could take a huge step with the power production in the minors this year, and that might determine when he ultimately gets called up by the White Sox. That's Colson Montgomery.
0: We do have a few more NFBC drafts that have been completed. 18 now done in the books, and Tim Anderson's ADP, 311.4. So (laughs) a very, very late-round pick. I'm sure once he signs somewhere and we learn more uh, we'll probably yeah. see that ADP jump about 50 spots or something.
1: Right. The uncertainty, I think, is driving down the price. But, you know, if he signs somewhere to be a utility guy, maybe the price drops even more.
0: The White Sox also declined their $15 million club option on Liam Hendricks. He's expected to miss most, if not all, of 2024 following Tommy John surgery. Eduardo Rodriguez opted out of the final three years of his Tigers contract. And as of now, the Tigers rotation includes Terek Skubel, Matt Manning, Reese Olsen, Sawyer Gibson long and Casey Mize, all 27 years old or younger. Again, I've, they could sign someone in the offseason, We'll see. But uh, as of now, they've, they've got a young rotation and a decent bit of upside. So, um, I don't know, kind of excited for the Tigers pitchers. Marcus Stroman opted out of the final year of his Cubs contract, passing up $21 million. That seemed a little surprising to me. I, I, he won't get more than $21 million annually. I guess he probably wants to get another multi-year deal, but a little surprising.
1: Yeah, I think... I, I, I'm with you. I think it's less about the, the annual value there than just getting some more years in the bag. And I think, given the current state of pitching, he's going to have too much trouble getting a deal he's happy with.
0: The Braves picked up Charlie Morton's $20 million option. Uh, so he's back with the team. We know the ERA was solid, 364. He had a bunch of strikeouts again. The whip obviously is a killer. So we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I don't think we want to bet on a 40-year-old kind of getting better at this point in his career. but
1: No, I'm, I'm definitely beyond hyping up Charlie Morton. I would say he for I've done my starting pitcher rankings now. I've done all my position by position rankings. I am jealous. FYI, right. it's just a matter of combining them now into overall rankings. Charlie Morton checks in 63rd for me at starting pitcher, which means he's cool. got to get drafted in all but the shallowest of leagues. He's in the glob. Oh, he's firmly in the glob. <laughs> he's he's like he had 183 strikeouts this year. That's useful and you know wasn't very good last year either and had 205 strikeouts and kind of my guiding principle at starting pitcher this year and I've, I've alluded to this in the the past is uh, it's it's kind of a back to basics approach at starting pitching where like strikeouts that is the one thing a pitcher has the most control over how many strikeouts he gets and it just so happens that there is a pretty clear correlation between strikeouts and overall success. So, you know, that that's kind of a secondary issue, but it is, it is so that if you're not allowing contact in the first place, you're probably going to do better. I don't know that that's necessarily the case for Charlie Morton. Again, it's a secondary point, but that, that is also one of the thoughts behind going all in for strikeouts, a starting pitcher. But the primary reason for this it's the one thing a pitcher can control it's the one predictable thing in a very in a very pre- unpredictable era at starting pitcher that's what the glob's all about right so go for the thing that you can for sure count on being there the fact it's a counting stat as opposed to a ratio stat also helps with that idea like you sell out for strikeouts, you're probably going to lead your league in strikeouts. And you may just end up with a great pitching staff overall. So that's that's the maybe the rationale for taking Charlie Morton at a low
0: cost. But
1: we're also at a point where you have to expect he's going to hurt you and whip, at least, if not ERA.
0: Yeah, and as we saw with some of the older guys this year, Verlander, Scherzer, I mean... It can happen like that, right? So um, he's got to improve the control. Not sure that it's going to happen. I would say expect a bad whip. Maybe solid ERA. Still pitches for a great team, so should get you some wins and obviously lots of strikeouts there for Charlie Morton. Josh Bell exercised his $16.5 million player option with the Marlins, which I think is fine. He's going to have a starting role. He's probably a corner infielder for fantasy. He played 53 games with the Marlins, hit 270 with 11 home runs and an 818 OPS. He was... He was pretty good with the Marlins. The, uh, speaking of the Marlins, Jorge Soler declined his $13 million player option. He's a free agent. The Twins exercised options on both Jorge Polanco and Max Kepler. Justin Turner declined his $13.4 million player option, earning a $6.7 million buyout in the process. So that seems like a no-brainer for him why he would do that. Uh, and hopefully this helps the Red Sox find playing time for guys like Willier Abreu and Jaron Duran and Sedan Rafaela. Next season, the yeah. end of an era. The Reds have declined their $20 million club option on Joey Votto. He spent 17 years in Cincinnati. Obviously, makes sense. They got all these young kids coming up and they obviously need places to play them. Uh, apparently, Vado already receiving some interest in his home country team, the Toronto Blue Jays. So uh mm-hmm. we'll pay attention there.
1: Fill the, fill the Brandon Belt role there next year. <laughs> That's maybe. right. Um, Um, I also want to mention like the Justin Turner thing frees up a log you you did mention it but I want to stress it even more like the log jam that existed there between outfield and first base for the Red Sox this hopefully means full-time at-bats for Tristan Casas who I had already ranked ninth at first base for next year Um, you mentioned William Bray who I like a lot hits the ball hard uh, and draws walks and also, Sedan Rafaela, who could carve out a nifty role as a part-time center fielder, part-time shortstop, as we saw in September. I mean, it's possible the Red Sox bring Justin Turner back. He obviously had a very good year for them. But I hope they don't. I hope they don't because I would like to see that logjam freed up and, and some of those other players get a chance to shine.
0: Yeah, uh, I agree with that too. The Ch-ch-ch- Padres declined their two-year $32 million team option for Michael Waka, making him a free agent. Seth Lugo declined his $7.5 million player option. The Padres' rotation as of November 8th. Joe Musgrove, Yu Darvish, Matt Waldron, Pedro Avila, and Jay Groom. Uh, so not really sure where they go. Maybe they make a trade this off season. Um, also, this crazy story came out over the weekend. We were talking about it beforehand. The Padres took out a $50 million loan, according to reports, to help cover short-term expenses, including player payroll. And apparently they're also looking to lower payroll. So I I don't know that anyone's going to take on like Bogarts or you Darvish or Cronenworth or anything like that, but... I think the the Padres could be busy this off season. I'm kind of stunned AJ Preller still has a job.
1: <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean to go so in so hard that you're taking out a 50 million dollar loan like you got to win and they didn't even make the playoffs. Crazy. And like, I feel bad for him because I thought you know their team certainly looked amazing on paper. I think everybody had it had it as a playoff team. Um, and I enjoy watching him work in the offseason. He's about as aggressive as a GM can be. But like I'm, I'm, I'm kind of surprised he's still there because that's that seems like a gamble. That seems like a huge gamble that ended with huge failure.
0: Let's run through the rest of these. The Rangers exercised their 6.25 million dollar option on Jose Leclerc and a 13 million dollar option on Andrew Heaney. The Cubs exercised a $16 million option on Kyle Hendricks. Their rotation entering the offseason, Justin Steele, Jamison Tyone, Hendricks, Jordan Wicks, and Javier Assad. Javier Baez will not opt out of the remaining four years, $98 million on his deal with the Tigers. Oh, really? (laughs) There was some talk that he was going to opt out, but... That clearly is not a good decision. <laughs> Somebody must have talked some sense into him. Right. Uh, You're not that good anymore, Javier. No. Mike Clevenger declined his $12 million mutual option with the White Sox. The Dodgers declined $18 million option on Lance Lynn. Blue Jays declined their $18 million mutual option on Whit Merrifield. Michael Conforto did not opt out and is returning to the Giants for $18 million. Ross Stripling. No. That's, an, that's another. That's <laughs> Yeah. Like, how What?
1: Duh, you know, right? yeah. I, was, I was Michael Conforto after the year he just had going to turn down 18 million.
0: Yeah, I think the same thing could probably be said for Ross Stripling. He exercised 12 and a half million dollar option with the Giants. Your Braves declined Eddie Rosario's nine million dollar option, potentially opening up a spot for uh, Vaughn Grissom to play the outfield. Maybe they signed somebody. I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah, I was a little surprised by that one. Nine million seemed like a reasonable amount to pay for a, a guy who had 21 homers and 74 RBIs, a platoon bat was actually a gold glove finalist in left field. I don't never thought of Eddie Rosario as a good defender, but he was Interesting. a gold glove finalist and, um, only 9 million. I don't know. Kind of surprising. It does make me think that they're ready to transition Vaughn Grissom to the outfield. Um, and see what he can do in a full-time role. I don't think there's a ton of power there. I don't think there's a ton of speed there. But he has shown a a penchant for getting lots of hits. And, you know, maybe that would help round out the lineup a little better. A lineup that's full of big power bats already.
0: Like, come on, Scott. Do they really need to round out their lineup? (laughs) Well, you
1: know what I mean. Just like a a different style of hitter. So that... uh, there, there are more dimensions to the lineup, I guess.
0: All righty. Shaw Maniah opted out of a one-year $12.5 million deal with the Giants. Drew Smiley exercised his $8.5 million player option. He's back with the Cubs. And the Marlins exercised their $3.5 million option on John Birdie. And,
1: and 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 I also want to clarify, when I say I don't think there's a lot of power and speed there for, for Vaughn Grissom, I think he could maybe be a 15-home or 15-steal guy. But I don't see like a 25-25 season and Vaughn Grissom's future.
0: Let's take our first break. When we return, some other news and notes. I've got some uh, qualifying offers and, and just some, the latest rumblings here from the hot stove. We'll do that right after this. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know, home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, Now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework.
1: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash card.
0: Welcome back into Fantasy Baseball today. We also had a trade. Not really a big trade, but a mm-hmm. trade nonetheless. Mark Hanna was shipped over to the Tigers for right-handed pitcher uh, Blake Holub. And Hanna... Had a solid season. He had 262, 11 home runs, 11 seals. He turns 35 years old in February. Roster Resource has Canna in left field for now. Parker Meadows in center. Riley Green in right field. Kerry Carpenter at DH. Again, they could still make a move. Maybe Canna turns into like a fourth outfield platoon type option, but he's with the Tigers. Whatever that's worth. Not worth much. Not worth much. All right. Seven players received the qualifying offer, which was a one-year $20.3 million deal. No surprise on lots of these names Shohei Otani, Cody Bellinger, Matt Chapman, Sonny Gray, Josh Hader, Aaron Nola, and Blake Snell. None are uh, expected to accept, which means those teams will earn draft compensation when, if those players sign with a different team. Other random news and notes the Dodgers signed Max Muncie to a two year, $24 million extension with a $10 million club option for 2026. Clayton Kershaw underwent left shoulder surgery to repair ligaments and his shoulder capsule. He's hopeful to return to play at some point next summer. And I'm interested to see what the Dodgers do with their pitching staff, Scott, if anything. Because as of now, it looks like they would have to rely pretty heavily on the kids Bobby Miller, Ryan Papio, Emmett Sheehan, Dustin May in the second half of the season coming back from Tommy John surgery. My guess is they probably either sign or trade for somebody, but.
1: Well, it- they also have Walker Bueller coming back Correct. from Tommy John surgery. Yep. And, I mean, Miller, Pepio, and Sheehan look great down the stretch. Uh, they, I, I want to see them get as many innings as possible next year. I would imagine they'll, they'll add some innings eater types, maybe another reclamation project in the Andrew Heaney mm-hmm. vein rather than, than make a big splash for a starting pitcher. Uh, but I could be wrong. Well, they have, they're the Dodgers. They obviously have tons of resources and can pretty much do whatever they want. Uh, but I think those young pitchers showed enough promise that they won't want to block them next year. I do think it's interesting that Kershaw says you know he's hopeful of returning next summer. I wasn't sure he was going to return at all. I thought we might have seen the last of Clayton Kershaw. So apparently not. Apparently he's still going to be in the nick ne- in the mix next year, but not until the second half probably. And so not going to demand much draft capital.
0: All right. Last Friday, we heard from Astros GM Dana Brown. He said that Yiner Diaz, quote, will be the main guy at catcher next season. Mentioned we have 18 drafts worth of NFBC data. Yiner Diaz, the fifth catcher off the off the board at pick 138 on average. Casey Mize has been throwing at Tiger's spring training complex and will be a full go for the start of spring training. And the hot stove heating up a little bit early on in the offseason. The Red Sox have talked to Jordan Montgomery. Jonathan India is a popular name among executives at the GM meetings. We've talked about this. I think it makes sense. Obviously, the Reds have middle infield prospects, corner infield prospects. They need somewhere to play these guys. They need pitching, too. So I think maybe flipping Jonathan India for some pitching makes some sense for the Reds. Sounds like the White Sox are willing to listen to trade offers on Dylan Cease. They have a first-time GM in Chris Getz, and I was reading some of his quotes. You know, he kind of had a presser on uh, on Tuesday. Yeah, he seems like he's willing to trade anybody. So, like, the doors are open in Chicago. Uh, the phones are open, rather, and they should be. Yeah, cease. He mentioned Eloy Jimenez possibility. No. So,
1: not a lot there beyond Colson Montgomery
0: worth in- keeping around. Indeed, Luis Severino has oh, a- Luis Robert. Yeah, did you talk about Luis Robert? Uh, he No, I didn't see his name mentioned, but I okay. did see Eloy and Dylan Cease uh, yeah. names popped up there. Luis Severino has already generated interest from as many as eight teams, and here's a kind of old name, I can't really say fun name, Eric Fetty is drawing interest from MLB teams after dominating the KBO this past season, 20 wins, a 2 ERA on the nose, .95 whip, 209 strikeouts, over 180 and a third innings, and... There's like a whiff of like Miles Michaelis here and Merrill Kelly, those guys went to the KBO, kind of recreated themselves, came back and had some success in the majors. Uh, I was listening to the RotoWire podcast with Tim McLeod who follows everything kind of overseas with Japan and KBO and he had some really great things to say about Eric Fetty. So uh, I don't know that he's going to be like a great starter when he returns, but there is a chance. So just kind of follow that name away and we'll see if and when he signs. Was a top prospect, uh, not um, uh,
1: when he was working his way up the national system, and uh, entered the mix at a time when they were loaded. They had Scherzer, they had Gio Gonzalez. They were, you know, one of the one of the premier teams in baseball. I'm not sure he ever got the opportunity to. I know he got opportunities, but to thrive, really, I think, I, I think he deserves a second chance, particularly given how things have gone for him in Korea. So I'm. I'm I'm pretty interested in that, too, Eric Fetty. Yep. Yeah, I, I always liked him.
0: All right, let's talk about our my first real draft that I did. And technically, it's only half the draft. I drafted 23 rounds worth. Uh, we're going to pick up the other 27 rounds in January. It's going to be a slow draft from here on out. But this is the NFBC Draft Champions format. It's a 15-team league, 5 by 5 roto draft and hold. 50 rounds total, no waivers, no trades. You just set your lineup each week. And again, it's Roto-style lineup, so two catchers, one of each infield position, a corner infielder, middle infielder, five outfielders, one utility bat, and nine hitters. I was drafting 13th overall, and uh, we'll get to my team a little bit later on. We'll just focus on the early rounds here and get a little taste for where players are going early in the offseason. If you're uh, watching us on YouTube, I got the draft board pulled up here. Admittedly, it's going to be pretty hard to see. There's lots of names going on here and lots of different colors and everything. But if you're watching on a TV, or maybe you could just kind of zoom in a little bit. You can take a look at the draft board there. Let's start with the first round, Scott. No starting pitchers in the first eight picks of this draft. Ronald Acuna, Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, Mookie Betts, Corbin Carroll, Kyle Tucker, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman. Um, Sounds about right. It feels like Freeman should maybe be a touch higher. Uh, interesting to see that Turner's late season surge kind of got him back in the top eight picks here. Does anything kind of yep. stand out? It it seems pretty straightforward to me.
1: Yeah, it's not so different from my initial rankings. And like I said, I have to combine my position my position ranking still, but I have published what I would like the first two rounds to be. And uh, mine starts out at cunha Witt, Leo Rodriguez just like this one does Corbin Carroll and Mookie Betts. They're flipped for me. It's Carroll over Betts, but you know, those are the next two. So the top five more or less is exactly the same as I have it. I agree. Freeman's a little low. Uh, he would be sixth for me instead of uh, what is it? Eighth, mm-hmm. six, seven, yep. eight. Yeah. He'd be sixth for me instead of eighth. And Trey Turner is a little on the high side, but I've, I've bumped him up since this article was published even. Because I he, he's he's capable of such a big stolen base total, you know. In addition to to providing power, and at, at times I know this year I expressed doubt that Trey Turner was going to be a great source of batting average again, but you know, basically from the start of August on, he was he was the same Trey Turner we've always known um, from before his time with the Phillies. So I think I think he basically got right. I don't know. The more I think about it, I, I don't know that I'd object to taking him seventh overall. I think my rankings show him a little lower than that, but it's it's close enough. It's 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 a pretty tight group group after the, to me, the top six of Acuna, Witt, Rodriguez, Betts, Carroll, and Freddie Freeman in some order. And then to me, there's a tier of like 10 players or so that, I could could almost talk myself into any order, and Trey Turner's certainly a part of that group, as is Kyle Tucker, who went sixth here.
0: The back half of the first round, again, this is a 15-team league. I realize many people listening, you probably play in like 10 or 12-team leagues, so it's going to sound a little bit different to you. Uh, But again, just getting an idea for where players are going. Spencer Strider, first starting pitcher off the board at ninth overall, followed by Jose Ramirez, Matt Olson, Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis to me at pick 13, followed by Juan Soto and Aaron Judge. Honestly, I was pretty shocked, Scott, to get Fernando Tatis at 13. I know he's kind of a polarizing player. Going into this draft, my plan was to get one of Jose Ramirez or Bryce Harper. And honestly, I saw those two guys go and I, I just assumed Tatis was gone already. I was about to click on Aaron Judge and just draft him. And then last second I realized, oh crap, no one took Fernando Tatis. So uh I I just took him. Um anything else stand out here? Maybe, maybe a touch early on Maddelson. Maybe, but it's it's again part of a
1: enormous tier. Yeah, all of these players are. None of these players stand out as really like a problem pick. Maybe Juan Soto at fourteen. Uh, the the fact that he went ahead of Aaron Judge. It's been a couple years since Juan Soto was a real asset and batting average, and he considering how he measures up to these play these other players in, in the home run and stolen base categories, you really need him to thrive in batting average to justify a first round pick. Not to say he should go much later than this, but judge and some hitters you haven't even mentioned yet, like Corey Seager and Jordan Alvarez. To me, they all need to go ahead of Juan Soto pretty clearly. You know, maybe, maybe Juan Soto has a bounce back season where he, he competes for a batting title. Uh, it, Maybe he gets traded to the Yankees and, and becomes you know more of a, a 40 homer guy than a 30 homer guy. Yes. But based on what we know now about all these players, I I think I think the safer bet is to to drop one soto to round two, especially given the caliber of hitters that you can draft instead, and treat the possibility of the rebounded batting average as um you know less of a certainty than just You know, it would be a nice outcome. It would be a nice outcome if it happens, but you're not paying for that with Juan Soto
0: anymore. The second round got kicked off with Corey Seager, followed by Garrett Cole, who was the SP2 off the board at pick 17. Then Jordan Alvarez went to me. uh, So I paired Alvarez with Fernando Tatis. Then Shohei Otani, Bo Bichette, Ozzy Albies, Austin Riley, Rafael Devers, Pete Alonso. I realize I threw a lot of names your way, but there's a reason why I did that. So... First off, I'm going to mention, a month ago, I did a, an early mock draft. I got Yordan Alvarez in the second round. I said, there's no way that's going to happen again, and here we are. It's like I, I got Yordan Alvarez at pick uh, yep. 18 here. So, I mean, first off, that's pretty surprising to me. Otani at pick 19, I, I think that probably sounds about right. He's recovering from Tommy John surgery. We know he's not going to pitch next season. He's a free agent. We don't know where he's going to pitch yet. They want him to be ready for opening day. I'm not exactly sure. Um, So that's the next point. And the reason I mentioned all those hitters, Scott, mm-hmm. I think they're all great. And I think they're worthy of going in this range. There's not much speed. That's a common theme that I noticed here in the early second round. It's, you know, maybe Albies gives you 10 to 15. Bobachette, maybe 10 steals, but... Yeah, uh, you he's know,
1: really dropped off in that.
0: Otani, if he's ready on opening day, he'll probably give you 20 plus steals. But really, a lot of those names... They'll give you power, maybe some of them batting average, but there's really not much speed. So it's just something that stood out to me. Yeah, and I think
1: that's that's why I've ultimately decided, okay, as much as I like Mookie Betts, as much as I like Freddie Freeman, the top four in a Roto League need to be Acuna, with Julio Rodriguez, Corbin Carroll, guys who've shown the capacity for 40-plus steals, if not. You know fifty plus deals in Acuna's case, seventy plus deals. Nobody's debating Acuna number one, obviously. But those others, Witt, Rodriguez, Carroll, uh, they have to go ahead of Boots and Bets and Freeman, because like they they give you such a such a strong foundation in stolen bases, which are much more plentiful, and you don't have to fill them in the early rounds anymore. But to get that many from a player who does so many other things so well. Is just it, like it, it it makes your path so much easier. And so conversely, if you're not somebody who's picking that early in the draft, well, that, that means the non-base stealers are the ones are, you know, that still first round caliber hitters, but they're they're not giving you tons of steals for the most part. And that lasts for the first couple rounds. So that that's kind of a problem. And and I I guess that. Justifies moving Trey Turner up as happened in this draft. Him going seventh overall, Kyle Tucker sixth, same thing. I, I have Kyle Tucker about that high, um, but Turner is the one I'm kind of hesitating on. I guess that's the just that would be the justification for it. Is if you don't give yourself that strong steals foundation in round one with a Tucker or a Turner, then it's not going to be there in round two either. At least not without reaching for it. We'll see how the rest of the draft goes, but like it's I, it's less. It, it it is also worth noting that it's less essential now to get those stolen bases filled early because they're so much more more widespread. But you know, you'd rather have them than not. Yeah, yeah you, uh, I you've got to no matter them. what stage of the draft you're talking about.
0: There are more seals available, but you also need more seals to compete than ever before. So. You still have to find a way to get steals on your team, basically, is the point. Yes, you can get them in the middle rounds, but uh, yeah. I mean, why wouldn't you fill them early if you had that possibility? After- you're more likely to sacrifice in something else.
1: If you're going, if if you're trying to make up ground in stolen bases, then you're not really sacrificing anything if you're if you're taking care of them in round one.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's exactly why you want those guys. Uh, the back half of the second round, remember I left off with uh, Devers and Pete Alonso. Uh, so it was Alonso at pick 24. Then we got Adolis Garcia, Ellie De La Cruz, Marcus Semien, Jose Altuve, Gunnar Henderson, and Francisco Lindor. Ellie De La Cruz went at pick 26. He was paired with Corbin Carroll in the first round, which is incredibly fun, Scott, but yeah. I think does leave yourself to a a little bit of risk, obviously, you know, two young guys. I think Carol's pretty much proven. I've mentioned the shoulder over and over again, but like Ellie de la Cruz's batting average i I have no idea like does he hit 220 does he hit 260? i I don't know. yeah, well, that's the thing like
1: this is this is where I say things that can sometimes come back to bite me, so I'm going try and put it I'm going try and put it a little differently than I have in the past. Because Ellie De La Cruz has enormous potential. He could have a he could be a top five player overall next year, and this pick will look great. But nobody can honestly tell me today that he will be a top five player. Like I maybe he will. We all acknowledge he has a possibility to be, but like he had major contact issues in the second half, especially, and didn't really put the ball in the air enough to take advantage of his massive power potential either. So like they're there's some growing that still needs to be done. Maybe it'll happen just this offseason and he'll turn into a mega stud next year. And then people will say, Oh, Scott, you were so wrong about Ellie de la Cruz. But I'm just being honest. Like, I I can't I can't say this will happen for Ellie de la Cruz next year. So to take him this early in the second round is a major, major gamble that could pay off. But you're passing up some pretty good players. For that gamble and particularly from the guy who took Corbin Carroll in round one, like he doesn't have to stress about speed at all the way, you know, somebody who took Freddie Freeman, let's say in round one has to. So it's, it's just, a, it's kind of an odd pairing. Uh, like I could, I, I could, I think the justification for taking Ellie, De La Cruz in round two, and it, you know, it's worth reminding everybody 15 team leagues. So would this technically be a round three pick? Yeah. In a 12-team league?
0: Early third, or, yeah. Yeah. Pick, pick 26. Um,
1: still, it's high any way you look at it. Like, if 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 you're going to just, like, the, the justification for that would be, okay, well, he's probably a 40-steal guy regardless of what happens with the bat, and I wanted to take care of the steals that I missed out on with my first pick or two picks. But that's not the case coming from the guy who took Corbin Carroll. So just just a weird, kind of a weird pairing there, I would say.
0: Yeah, I think maybe someone like Semyon or Francisco Lindor paired with Corbin Carroll, they they just feel safer, higher floor. Just looking at the players that went just after him. So, I don't know, kind of thinking out loud on those two. Let's let's take our final break. When we return, uh, we really haven't talked about pitching. Where is all the pitching? We'll talk about that right
1: after this. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you.
0: Welcome back in. We're going over my first draft for 2024. This is a real draft. It's going to be played out. It's a 15-team, 5x5 five five roto, draft and hold format, and we left off, where is all the pitching? Only two pitchers drafted in the first 31 picks, and then we saw a bunch of pitchers go in the third round. Zach Wheeler at pick 32, Corbin Burns at 34, Luis Castillo at 35, Kevin Gausman at 36, Pablo Lopez at 42, And then I got Zach Gallon at pick 43. So again, the first eight starting pitchers drafted in order. Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, Corbin Burns, Luis Castillo, Kevin Gaussman, Pablo Lopez, Zach Gallen. Does that sound about right?
1: About right. I think there's a clear top seven at starting pitcher. I think Gallen is in it and Lopez isn't. I was actually worried I was ranking Lopez too high uh, at... 12th overall because he was a big source of strikeouts last year unveiling a new sweeper that in addition to already having that great changeup uh, he had a big strikeout total the ERA was kind of high but the ERA estimators were much lower and so I get it I get wanting to elevate Pablo Lopez I think people just most people are going to look at the ERA he finished with and uh <laughs> you know Pablo Lopez's track record is Kind of mid, I would say. So they're going to look at him having a three sixty six ERA and having that mid track record and say, ah, I can't draft him as high as twelfth or where he went here, seventh among starting pitchers, right, seventh. But maybe it's justified. I do think there's a like if I'm, if you're selling out for strikeouts, I do think Lopez is is more likely to between Lopez and Gallon, Lopez is more likely to have more next year. Uh, but it was a good get there gallon i think for you toward the end of round three and um i think just in in terms of the general approach to pitching that was taken in this draft it's the way to go i'm a little disappointed to see it I'm, i'm both disappointed to see it because i can't uh take advantage of other people mixing in more pitchers in round one and two and and building a greater lineup as a result of that so i'm disappointed in that aspect but i'm also um feel validated because other people are taking the approach I feel is, is the right one to take where Spencer Strider, Garrett Cole, if you're going to draft a pitcher early, it's gotta be one of those two, but no one else is worth drafting until the true stud hitters are off the board. And there's probably 25 or so stud hitters, if not more, it was actually more that went off the board before the third starting pitcher did. So I, I think that's right. I think that, that reflects the breakdown of the starting pitcher position right now where we're light on standouts and deep in the middle, I guess. Still haven't decided exactly where the glob cutoff is. Obviously, it's later than guys like Luis Castillo and Zach Gallen and Pablo Lopez. But you wanna get, you want to get a couple at least of the pre-glob pitchers, I would say, if not three.
0: And to be clear, I did not want to take Zach Gallen with my third round pick, which will lead into the discussion of my fourth round pick. I was looking at guys like Michael Harris, Luis Robert, Randy Rosarena. All those guys went in the middle of the third. And, and then, I, think, I think it did right. I think it yeah. did the
1: right thing. I mean, you already had Tatis and Alvarez, two outfielders with big impact potential. I mean, either one of them could be their league's MVP next year, I would say. Uh Fernando Tatis, we acted like he was a big disappointment. You know, after missing almost the first month, uh, finishing off his suspension, coming back from a couple major surgeries, wrist and shoulder, and had a 25 homer, 29 steal season. We're thinking, oh, this is a big disappointment. Well, that just that just shows you how high the upside is for Tatis because I think those numbers in and of themselves could justify you taking him where. You did. So you you have a really strong hitting foundation. I think by the time your third round pick came up here late in round three, like all the super stud hitters are gone. Yeah, To me, they ended uh, maybe around Francisco Alvarez, Jose Altuve late in round two. I don't know. Maybe you you could make the argument Vladimir Guerrero was part of that group too. He went in round three. But I don't think Michael Harris is part of that group. I don't think Randy Rosarena is part of that group. Maybe Luis Robert, but you're gambling a lot on health there. He managed to stay relatively healthy this past year, but that's been the exception for Luis Robert, I would say. And just especially given that this is a 15 league, how how quickly pitching is going to start flying off the board. I think Zach Gallon was absolutely the right call there.
0: All right, so let's get into my fourth round pick. This is my first kind of wild card type pick and... I tweeted out my team and some people just lost their minds there. Like, the player I took was CJ Abrams and some people were like, wow, Abrams, great value. Some people said, what are you kidding me? This is someone that we <laughs> were drafting outside the top 200 last year. Uh, and, you know, now you got to take him in the fourth round. Are you crazy? I don't know. Uh, I will explain my thinking, Scott, and, and obviously okay. you can respond. We'll find out. Sure. Uh, my thinking, uh, I felt like I needed more speed because I took Alvarez in the second round. I didn't really love any of the players that were available in this kind of early fourth round, which sounds crazy to say it's like still so early in the draft, but some guys that went right after I took C.J. Abrams, Freddie Peralta, Jazz Chisholm, Christian Yelich, Royce Lewis, George Kirby, Cody Bellinger, Christian Walker, Nolan Jones and Look at then, Nolan Jones round four. Yes. And then there was this huge pitching run after that too. So maybe the one exception, Mike Trout went to pick 68, which seems pretty late, but. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't take, wow. in my opinion, I couldn't take Trout and Alvarez on the same team. It just seems like too much injury risk, especially in a 15 team league. So I know Abrams is not really proven, but I felt like I needed the speed and I, I really didn't love those hitters and pitchers that went right after him. So. What do you think, Scott? CJ Abrams, pick forty-eight.
1: I don't love it. I get. I mean, I, I when you sent me your team and I saw you'd taken CJ Abrams round four. Okay, I just absent all other context. I don't know what the shortstop situation looks like at that point. I don't know what the stolen base situation looks like at that point, and I don't think, you know. Removed from all context, it didn't strike me as a big issue you taking, Abrams, there. Okay, maybe maybe those were needs that were urgent to fill at that point in the draft. You know, I'm usually thinking in terms of 12-team league, and sometimes adding those three extra teams can uh, create different scarcities than you're used to seeing in a 12-team format. But now that I have the full draft board here, and I see Ha Sung Kim going... More than two rounds later, I actually have Kim ahead of Abrams. Their numbers were very similar this past year. Part of it is just uh, Kim is going to be triple eligible, and uh, Abrams is shortstop only. So that's that's part of the reason I give the slight edge to Kim. But you know, two rounds difference. Okay, give me Kim. And then even beyond that, uh, Bryson Stott trying to see if he's shortstop eligible. I can't remember. I think he's only second base. I think he's only second base, so he doesn't fill the shortstop need. But he went, he went pretty five great. rounds later.
0: Yeah, he went after and, the top one hundred.
1: Then C.J. Abrams, and I, I expect C.J. Abrams to have the most steals of those three, but not by, not by more than ten to twelve. You know, it, it's yeah. it's a couple thirty to thirty five steals guys, and then a forty to forty five steals guy. In theory, I don't know. The, like the one thing. The one thing I might be underestimating here with Abrams is that, okay, I'm looking at the total number of steals he had this past year, and it was 47. Great total. He could get better. Well, uh, that's what I was going to say. Like, 47, (laughs) 33 of them were in the second half. In fact, he only had nine stolen bases after the first three months. So uh, the final three months, he got 38 of those forty-seven steals, which I mean, if he just he just decided to start running, basically, and if he continues to run at that pace next year, then maybe he's more like a sixty-steal guy. So that would like, there's a sixty-steal guy, this looks a lot different. But I think just given the relative value for other um, prolific base deal, compared to other prolific base dealers with power issues, like uh, Hassan Kim and Bryson Stott, two rounds. Later for Kim, five rounds later for Stott. I, I don't know that Abrams was the greatest pick.
0: I would agree with that, by the way. I mean, given the context, it's just. It, what First makes, draft of the year, you don't
1: know where those guys exactly. are. Exactly.
0: Go. What, what makes his draft so fun is I had no idea. Like, I had no right. idea where anybody was going to go. So it was pretty crazy. Uh, usually
1: I see early draft results and I'm like, oh my gosh, I got to redo my rankings. <laughs> 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 I, I'm not feeling that way looking at these. I, I think. I think. Uh, I think I pretty much
0: nailed it is there any hitter or pitcher that went right after Abrams that you think was like a slam dunk pick that I passed on because I I really don't feel that way uh let's see here so your boy Tarek Skubal went at the end of the fourth I guess I could have done that yeah I'll tell you so the other player I was debating with Abrams was Tyler Glass now And then I got him at the end of the fifth round. So So almost two
1: rounds later. should not have happened. I I have Glass now ranked ahead of Scooble, so I I wouldn't have. Right. I thought I was crazy ranking Scooble ninth. But I have Glass now eighth. So maybe I'm crazy to do both. I don't know. Crazy like a fox. (laughs) Yeah, slam dunk. Okay, so the hitters. Like, I'm I'm pretty sure my top 300 is going to have Cody Bellinger ahead of CJ Abrams, and he went later. Mm-hmm. Royce Lewis, he'll probably be ahead of Abrams. I and mean, frankly, I'll probably have Nolan Jones ahead of Abrams.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, Mike Trout, it, I'm still kind of floored he went as late as he did. I thought I was... Because I haven't had Bellinger even.
0: But do you yeah. think, you like roster construction-wise, you could pair Trout with Alvarez? It seems too risky yeah. to me.
1: Meh. <laughs> I mean... I know Alvarez uh, can get a little annoying with the injuries, but he's still, how many games did he play? He played, I think like Well, maybe? He played 114, which isn't that many, but he hit 31 homers. He drove in 97 runs. Yeah.
0: That's bad, man. Like 114.
1: Well, I know, but 31 homers and 97 runs. Like he's so but the repli- prolific hitter. And, and Trout's kind of in the same boat where even though he misses more time than you'd like, I know it was even more than usual this past year, but he played just in 2022. Trout played 119 games, 40 homers.
0: Yeah. You know? It's just the replacement value when those guys are out. In a 15 team league, it's so bad. It's just I know, but their numbers are good without even
1: without even like prorating it. Their numbers are just their totals are good for, for guys who play only three quarters of the season. Well, that's what I'm saying. Not even for guys who play three quarters of the season. Their numbers are good, and it just so happens that they only play three quarters of the season.
0: I had a bunch of things planned, a bunch of players I wanted to talk about. We do have a mock draft that's coming up soon, so we'll have the opportunity to talk about a bunch more. I'll quickly just run through the rest of my team, Scott, and and you could give a, a quick critique on it. The offense that I wound up with, Salvador Perez and Austin Wells as my two catchers, the infield Vinny P, baby, Vinny Pasquantino, Klayber Torres, CJ Abrams. I've got Jake Berger at third base. Jamer Candelario as my corner. Zach Geloff as my middle. And then in the outfield, I've got Fernando Tatis, Jordan Alvarez, Josh Lowe, Lars Newbar, and Sal Freelich. I do not have a util hitter yet, uh, so I'll, I'll get one of those when things pick back up. I, oh, this ain't over. No, 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 no. We picked this draft back up in January, so the final 27 yeah. rounds. <laughs> There's still a lot to happen um, mm-hmm. I think batting average could be a problem. You know, <laughs> Abrams, Geloff, Berger, Wells. I think all those guys could hit under 250. I don't know. It's all right. I, well, you know, we could talk about the pitching staff too. If I known, I could have gotten Zach Geloff two rounds after Glaber Torres. I probably wouldn't taken Glaber Torres and probably would have taken a pitcher there. But what do you think of the offense?
1: I like it. I my I one takeaway, and you hadn't send, sent me quite this much of your team. So your rotation is Zach Gallen, Tyler Glass, now Michael King, round 11 as your number three starting pitcher. And I think I would have liked another starting pitcher somewhere between Glass now and King. Yeah, I agree. Um, maybe instead of like Glaber Torres, who you took in round eight, especially, you know, I have the foreknowledge you're going to get Zach off two rounds later. It just seems like uh, if, if you have... If if like I prefer Geloff to Torres, so if you're gonna get Geloff two rounds later, there's no reason to take Torres in round eight. And pitchers you could have had there, Kyle Bradish.
0: Bradish is the one. He's the one that yeah. really stands out to me.
1: Yeah, I th- I think he's my favorite. Next round, you see like. Gavin Williams go. Sonny- this is this is kind of where my pitching ranks differ from what happened here in this draft because Sonny Gray and Bo- Bailey Ober both go in this range too, and I have them lower mm-hmm. in my rankings because they're not big strikeout guys. Yeah. So that's probably like I would. That's the range of the draft where I would load up a little more on starting pitcher than you did. I mean, especially now that I have more rounds at my disposal here. You you got Jake Berger in round fifteen of a fifteen team league. That seems great.
0: Yeah. Uh, that is
1: the kind of power bat that I would not expect to be available
0: that late. I think in ADP when I looked at it, he's a twelfth rounder. So again, I think it's just everyone is drafting for the first time, and some guys are slipping through the cracks. Sure. So I needed a third baseman desperately. My plan was to take Berger and then Stephen Kwan. I think those two are pretty good pairing later on in drafts. Uh, I took Berger, and then Stephen Kwan went with the very next pick. So I couldn't, I couldn't pull that off. I think it would have helped the batting average out a little bit uh
1: I don't know Burger might not be so bad for batting average based on the adjustments he made after joining the Marlins yeah uh I'm trying to see so the third baseman I have ranked just a little ahead of Burger, uh Noel V Marte and uh the Rays guy Caminero, Junior Caminero yeah. yeah Noel V Marte and Junior Caminero they both went in round 12 so three rounds earlier than you took Burger. yeah and
0: then where's Max Muncy uh, Max Muncy went in the tenth, five rounds yeah. earlier.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd rather have Burger in round fifteen than Muncy in round ten, especially maybe maybe not in a points league because Muncy gets all those walks, but in a categories league, I mean, I expect Muncy to be a worse source of batting average and potentially a much worse source of batting average than Burger. Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh, quickly read off the starting pitchers I wound up with. I mentioned Zach Gallant, Tyler Glass now, Michael King as my SP3, Aaron Savali, Christopher Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, John Means, Sawyer Gibson Long, and my relievers. I got Rysel Iglesias in the sixth round, and I got Kyle Finnegan in round 19 as my second closer. I agree completely. I, I feel like I need another pitcher in there. I like Savali. I think he's sneaky, like maybe... The Rays can work some kind of Zach Eflin magic with him for a full season. He's very gloppy, though. Yes, yeah. You know, I was just looking for boring innings at that point, but every time I queued somebody up like Merrill Kelly or Jose Barrios, they would go right before my pick, and so I just yeah. missed out on a bunch of guys. Like like Stroman I, is probably like that, just kind of boring innings kind of guy. But I need more. Of I those. Want,
1: I think I want four pre-glob starting pitchers, even in a fifteen teamer like this. And you got two and a half in gallon glass now in Michael King. I'm I'm calling King half because I think he's certainly proved capable of um, transcending the glob, but obviously very unproven in the role having just entered into it for the last month and a half of last year.
0: I'll tell you what, Scott. If you want to pull that off, you're probably looking at four starting pitchers in your first 10 picks, which means you're either going to have to sacrifice like a, a closer one or, you know, five of your first 10 picks are going to be pitchers. So it's something you, you know, get the wheels turning and you start thinking about it. But, you know, at that point, five hitters, five well, pitchers in your first 10 rounds.
1: I mean, we substitute Kyle Bradish for Glaber Torres. It's basically done.
0: Yeah. But then do you feel good about the offense is the question? Yeah, I think so. All right. Well. Lots to learn. First draft is in the books. Uh, And again, if you're watching us live on YouTube, you can follow along with the draft board here. But we are going to wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we will be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. CBS Friday